to show my interest in his love and manifest his grace. With blessings of thy mouth divine, O may I favored be. More precious is thy love than wine, more sweet than life to me. I was among the traitorous crew, doomed to eternal fire, when he to pay the ransom flew on wings of strong desire. And this is what the Lord Jesus did for all of those who put their faith in him, who trust in him. They are saved by his grace, by his matchless grace. We'll be talking about that grace. Last time we asked this question, how can God show his kindness and his grace towards sinners? How can God be merciful to those who are his enemies? Do you remember what that answer was? Anybody? How can God, what's that? Through the cross. We said it's because God is wrathful. Because God is wrathful. His justice was vindicated in the cross. His justice was vindicated in his own son. Um, Only when the justice of God has been satisfied and the sin of man atoned by the lamb that was slain, can then God turn and be merciful to sinners. Only when that satisfaction has been made. We deserve hell. We deserve hell. Were it not for the grace of God, we would all be in hell right now, which is what we deserve. Receiving the due penalty of our sin and rebellion against God. If it were not for the intense love of God for wicked God-haters, there would be no demonstration of God's own heart to sinners in the cross. But God has revealed his love. The pinnacle of his grace we see in the cross. In history, 2,000 years ago, when God was wrathful towards his son, we see the love of God being demonstrated. Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrated his love for us in this, That while we were yet sinners, where was the love demonstrated? Christ died. It was in his death. It was in his death. And that should convict you. This was the message the apostles preached. The same object, the death of Christ, was used to convict men of sin and to demonstrate the love of God. You see, and to demonstrate the love of God. Um, God is good. God is good. Uh, From the goodness of God flow the realities of his mercy, flow the realities of his grace, his patience towards sinners. And so we're going to be talking about this grace of God. How would you define the grace of God? How do you define it when you're explaining to people what the grace of God is? This, this, This thing by which you are saved by, how do you explain it? What is grace? Okay, merited favor. Act of power or the act of power of God mm. to work or enable good. Mm. Yes. Yeah, that's good. That's what Trinity says. Is it? That was good. It was it was tight. Airtight. Kindness of God demonstrated 
That's right. Grace of God. It really has to do with all of what you said. Even Jonathan, the kindness of God. The kindness of God demonstrated to undeserving sinners, right? Undeserving people. Um, the goodness of God. I've heard some define it. Yes. Sure. That's right. It's purchased grace. It's purchased. Blood bought. Mm. And uh, some had to find grace like this. Grace as receiving what you don't deserve. Like he said, Wayne Grudem, his definition is God's goodness towards those who only deserve punishment. Who only deserve punishment. And you see these, in Exodus 34, 6, you see the, the mercy, the goodness, the grace of God, the long-suffering of God, which is his patience towards sinners. You see them all come together because they're so intimately interconnected. Uh, Exodus 34, 6 says, the Lord, Then the Lord passed in front of him Moses and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth. We can biblically define grace, if I could give you a word picture that demonstrate what the Bible means when it talks about grace. It's been defined like this. And it makes sense just thinking about it in our own salvation. Grace is when someone who has something turns in grace to another who has nothing. You see that God being gracious to the poor, God being gracious to the needy, God being gracious to those who are downcast and he turns and the significance of the people he's being gracious to is that they are poor. They're needy. They're downcast. And this is what God does with his grace. It's, it's God who has everything and he turns to him who is nothing, who is empty. And it's not just a, an impersonal turning, but it's the affections of God going forth. God loves to be gracious. He is, he is, gracious he is love um, god turning to be grace to when him he has everything turns to be gracious to him who has nothing is exactly what god did in jesus christ it's exactly what god does to save us from our sins god in his fullness of grace turns to fill our empty vessels with a loveliness and a righteousness which is not our own The grace of God is magnified when we understand this. The grace of God is magnified when we see how brilliantly arrayed God is in holiness. Incomparable goodness and stunning majesty in the face of our bankruptcy. Right? In the, fa- in the face of sinful, wretched, and people who are completely corrupt. There was a cosmic gap which God had to span in order to be gracious to us. Your sins separated you from God, right? There was an infinite, almost an immeasurable distance in depth by which God had to stoop down 
in order to be gracious to us, in order to deliver us from our sins, God had to step down and deliver us from that certain death and judgment by the riches of his grace. This grace that you received is amazing. It's astonishing. It should be amazing in your heart, in your mind. You should know having experienced the grace of God, it's amazing. There's so much grace waiting sinners, awaiting them. There's so much grace waiting for the repentant sinner. There truly is for your children who haven't repented and put their faith in Jesus. There's so much grace that awaits the repentant. As one theologian say, said this, he said, God, he says, he says, grace is God entering human history and showering sinful creatures with undeserved favor. And if I could give you some hit headings that which we'll be talking about today, the first heading is this. The grace of God is for those who only deserve hell. That, that is the object of the grace of God. Those who only deserve hell, the objects of, of extraordinary grace of God, they are the undeserving. Uh, those who deserve to be eternally punished for their crimes. Grace is for the guilty, not for the righteous. Uh, Luke 5, turn with me to Luke 5. Luke 5:31 Somebody read that when you get there. Luke 5:31 through 32, please read that. And Jesus answered and said hmm? to them, It is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. Amen. Amen. You see, the object of God's grace are sinners. Those who have sinned against God, who are marked by a life of transgression against God. If ever there was a day to own your, your sinnership before the Savior, who is our Savior, it's today. Today is the day of salvation, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6. Today is the day of salvation. Charles Spurgeon says this, If you are to go to Christ, do not put on your good doings or your good feelings. He says, or you will get nothing. But he says, go in your sins. They are your livery. Your ruin is your argument for mercy. Your poverty is your plea for heavenly alms and your need is the motive for heavenly goodness. Go as you are. Go as you are and let your miseries plead for you. You remember the tax collector, Luke 18, it's exactly what he did. What did he say? God, be merciful to me, the sinner. The sinner, as if he was the only one. The sinner. The object of God is for those, the, the, the grace of God is for those who deserve only hell. Next is the grace of God is free. The grace of God is free. What do I mean when we say the grace of God is free? <clears throat> it isn't demanded. God isn't obliged to give it. 
It's not by works, <laughs> right? Yeah. Greg? Amen. It's a gift. The grace of God is a gift. The grace of God is free. That's amazing. The grace of God is free. Salvific grace is bestowed, is not bestowed upon a sinner because of something he or she does. All right, we all know this because of these verses we just quoted. Jesus came to give sinners free grace. Romans 3, turn with me there. Romans 3. And you see the freeness of the grace of God, even in justification. Romans three twenty three through 24 says this, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace. What, is it, what does it mean to be justified? To be acquitted? That's one half of it. What did you say? Made right. And made right before God. The act of justification whereby, where is where God, by his free grace, pardons you from all of your sins and declares you to be righteous in his sight, completely owing to the person and work of Jesus Christ. renovative element of justification. It's not the impartation, but the imputation. Sure. They are guilty. Hmm. Okay. Mm. Amen. Amen. That's right. That's right. Good distinction. That's good. That's helpful. That's helpful. Uh, similar to that verse is Titus 3, 4 through 7. Go ahead and turn there. Titus 3, 4 through 7. Someone read that for us, Titus 3, 4 through 7. Okay. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but mm. according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by mm. his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Mm. Amen. Amen. Salvation and acceptance with God can only be gained by grace. It is all a precious gift of God. Uh, Romans eleven six actually makes this crucial distinction in that. Uh, speaking about God's choice and election, Paul says this, but if it is by grace... It is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. You see that? It nullifies grace if you have to work for it, if, if it's going to be a reward of some sort. 
It terminates. It's no longer grace. It's no longer a gift. Right? I think many of us understand that. Um, God is not obliged to give it or else it would not be free. Right? It must be free. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. Turn there with me. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. Brian, are you there? You going to read that for us? For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Mm, that's very good. You see this? It's not of yourself. It is the gift, not as a result of works. So we see that grace excludes works, or works excludes grace when we're talking about salvation. And what is the result of the reception of the gift of God? He says this, that no one should boast. That's the, la- the language of grace is, what do you have that you did not receive? That's the language of grace. Once the tongue has tasted grace, the mouth closes to savor that grace forever. Free grace shuts the mouth of boasting forever. Um, yes. Amen. The grace is his work in us. That's right. That's good. I have a section on that. That's good. No, that's good. That's good. The free the grace of God is free. The grace of God is this, it's received by faith. The grace of God is received by faith. What is necessary to receive the grace of God? Faith. What is faith? How would you how do you define faith when you're preaching, when you're sharing the gospel? What is faith? Okay. Okay. Trusting God and his promises. Looking to Christ. Right? Yes. Yep, that's right. That's right. It's this confidence that we have in him whom we have not seen. Faith is an attitude of dependence upon another. Um, It looks outside of itself to attain what it doesn't have the ability to attain. Right? By nature, faith is the opposite of self-trust. Right? It's the opposite of self-trust. You no longer place uh, any hope or trust in your own abilities. Faith sees the emptiness of oneself, the faith sees one's sinfulness, and faith humbles itself. It grabs a hold of the person and work of Christ. It sees his perfections, and it sees his work, and it lays hold of those things. That's what faith does. You see this, uh, you see this even in Romans 4, 5. It says, but to the one who does not work, but what? Believes but believes in him who justifies the ungodly. His faith is reckoned as righteousness. Do not despise the grace of God by being self-righteous or by thinking you can be good enough by your own doing. Even your best works, even your best efforts, as we know, um, 
They are likened to an unclean garment on a leper. Is that, is that language of Isaiah 64. Um, self-righteousness and pride set themselves up as enemies to the true grace of God. Belief receives it. Pride opposes the grace of God. Self-righteousness opposes the grace of God. Uh, this is what you see in James 4, 6. God opposes the proud. Uh, you see, because it's, it's the proud who oppose God. Um, you see it even in, in Galatians 2.21, for instance. Paul says, I do not nullify the what? The grace of God. He says, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. Those who turn to righteousness, uh, who turn to works for their righteousness, are by definition rejectors of God's grace. And therefore they nullify. They set aside, belittle, and make nothing of the significance of the death of Christ, of the grace of God. Yes. 2.21. Right. If our works could obtain the righteousness that we need, then grace is no longer needed as a gift. Right? It's no longer needed if you could obtain it another way. Uh, but those who accept the grace of God by faith, they do not nullify the death of Jesus or the grace of God, but they glory in his cross because that's how they obtain the righteousness that was necessary to be a friend of God. Isn't that incredible? Wow. Next, in getting to kind of what you were saying, the grace of God is the foundation and fuel for works. Uh, if you're still in Ephesians 2, uh, we're, we're going to be right there. He says, uh, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, but he says, For by grace you have been saved through, through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, that no one should boast. For we are his workmanship. Zero synergism, zero room for boasting. We are his workmanship. We are not our workmanship but we are his workmanship. And it says this, created in Christ Jesus, it's talking about the new creation, which God prepared beforehand for, he says that we should, or created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We were created in Christ Jesus. This is the foundation and the fuel for what? For good works. This, was, this is what sets us free to good works. When a sinner places their faith in Christ, they become a new creation spiritually. If any man is in Christ, he is a what? He's a new creature. He's a new creation. Right? The purpose of our new creation is good works in the service to God. Uh, the life of the Christian consists of two things by the grace of God. And maybe I can try to write these for you two things let me actually i have room the grace of god consists of two things in the life of a christian life i'm oh, sorry some of you can't see this faith faith alone the foundation of the christian life faith alone and in this 
Faith alone, this is Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. And then you have verse 10, which gives us our superstructure, which is faith and works. And we can call this, this right here. This is what the grace of God accomplishes. A foundation and a superstructure. It's faith alone is the foundation and we have faith in works or this might be our works here on top, which is the superstructure that believing in faith is the foundation and the fuel gives us the ability to to accomplish the works that God has given us, right? That God has given us before the world began. To bear fruit, that's right. And yeah, to walk in those things, to be obedient to God, right? To, to walk in those good works that God planned for us, to bear fruit in our obedience, to abide in Christ. Um, there's zero works laid here by us. Faith alone, you didn't do anything to lay this foundation. This is the workmanship of Christ. He, uh, this is God's workmanship. God lays the foundation in Christ, um, but verse 10, we can say this is 2, 8 through 9, and this is verse 10. Faith and, we could, we could say this is the foundation, and this is the superstructure here. This is what we are building. We're building on this foundation. And so... The issue that many will fall into with the grace of God and salvation is that they only have this, or they only claim to have this. This is where Jesus Christ is a Savior, right? But he's also what? He's also Lord. You have to obey him. Like, there's good works for you to walk in. And some people will say, um, um, actually, let's, I'll, I'll get to that. We don't just get saved to do whatever it is we want to do, right? Created in Christ for this purpose, for these works, right? That's what God recreated us for. Um, we cannot have a foundation without the superstructure, right? Both of those have to be intact. Both of those have to be alive in the life of a Christian. As James says this, what use is it, my brethren? If a man says he has this, and he doesn't have this, you see? Can that faith save him? It can't. It's a, it's a, it's, it, it's a, uh, it's, it's a faith that is, or at least you could say, if he hasn't received the true grace of God, it, it, it isn't, uh, it isn't, it isn't the, the right faith. Yes? Mm. That's right. You've never seen a branch that, you know, chopped off, laying on the ground, bearing any kind of fruit whatsoever. <laughs> right? You won't. You won't bear any kind of fruit whatsoever. Yes? I'm thinking of like 1 Corinthians 3, um, where he talks about, mm. for no one can lay a foundation other than which has been laid, which is Jesus Christ, mm. and that we are to be careful how we are to build upon that foundation or in any case the day will disclose right, what yeah. lasts, what doesn't. That's good. If someone tells me they have faith without works, um, they don't have works, they don't have a holy life, um, then I conclude that they don't have what Peter calls the true grace of God. True grace gives you both of these. Faith without works 
is dead, right? Uh, the doctrine of the grace of God is truly a, a, a really misunderstood doctrine. The true grace of God will produce a Christian who can be compared to a plane or a bird with two wings. You've never seen a bird fly with one wing. Faith, you've never seen that. You've never seen that. Or a plane. Trust me, you're not getting on a plane that has one wing. Right? The Christian, the, the true grace of God will make a Christian fly on the two wings of faith and works. And that is by the true grace of God that that will happen. Faith and works. One second. Yes, sister. Very good. Very clear. And I should have just read that. Man, it's good. Oh, that's, that's my next text. That's, that's next text. The grace of God teaches us to be holy. That's good. Is it? I don't know. Are you? First, first point. Are you on four? First point, the grace of God is for those who only deserve hell. The grace of God is free. The grace of God is received by faith. And the grace of God is the foundation and fuel for works. Number five. I, maybe I should alliterate these. <laughs> the, grace, the grace of God teaches us to be holy. Teaches us to be holy. The text that you were just, would you read that for us? Uh, would you read 11 through 14? If you're there still. Wow. It's the grace of God in salvation that changes the heart of the sinner from loving sin to loving godliness. Grace instructs that. Grace instructs us from pursuing a life of sin to pursuing a life of holiness. It's grace that teaches us to deny ungodliness. Uh, nowadays, if you're caught up, caught holding a high standard of holiness, um, teaching people to deny ungodliness, follow the scriptures, repent of your sins, uh, you're either called a legalist 
or you're called a Pharisee, to which I just respond, I'm just preaching the grace of God. It's the grace of God that teaches us, that instructs us, this appearing of the grace of God. It instructs us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires. That's what we should be preaching. That's what even Jesus, even in Acts 3.26, I don't have this up, but Acts 3.26, that that God raised up his son for this purpose. And, And I can just turn there for you, but he says just for this purpose, to bless you. How? By turning every one of you from your wicked ways. That is the blessing. This is the grace of God that we're preaching. Um, what are your thoughts? Yes. Remind me of the Great Commission. I would say it's an element of it. When we go there for make disciples of all the nations, Amen. It's that obedience. That's grace from God that preachers go out and make disciples. Amen. 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 Greg. That's right. It's a fruit of the love of God, fruit of your love to God, fruit of the grace of God. Um grace of God teaches us to be holy. Uh, the, the writer of the book of Hebrews, you can turn there. Um, Hebrews 12, 13, 14. It says this. Pursue peace with all men. And the sanctification or the holiness without which, this is a pursuit, without which no one will see the Lord. See to it, right? Which means um, take careful, uh, pay careful attention to yourself, careful oversight of your own heart, keeping your heart with diligence that no one comes short of the grace of God. So here, the writer of the Hebrews is talking about really apostasy, a warning to believers on apostasy. That just as we fall short of the glory of God, so some professing Christians will come short or fall short of the grace of God. That is uh, Hebrews 12, 14. Uh, yeah, 14 through 15. Um. It was an exhortation and a warning to those among the local body to wholeheartedly turn from sin, cling to Christ through faith, receive the grace of God. As uh, even Emilio preached uh, in the book of Hebrews, there must be a radical break with sin. That there are professing Christians who have fallen short, come short of Obtaining this grace of God. Yeah, as John Owen says, you must be killing sin or what? I knew you would know that. Sin will be killing you. Um, we have a similar exhortation to Hebrews 3, if you want to turn there. Hebrews three, twelve through 15. It just says this, Take care, brethren, that there be not that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God, but encourage one another, but encourage one another, 
day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm to the end. And um, there must be a hatred. Do you hate sin? Uh, Or are you indifferent to sin in your life? I know there's sin in your life. Um, Charity, indwelling sin within a believer, it will be a reality until we die. That indwelling sin. I know you have it. I have asthma. Um, And I'm probably always going to have it. And I hate asthma. I hate it. Uh, God's going to destroy it in the new heavens and new earth. I won't have it anymore. But what is your attitude towards sin? We hate disease. But do you hate sin? Um, though I have many just bodily issues, illnesses I face kind of frequently, my sinful heart is the worst of them. My heart is the worst of them. The smallest sin is worse than the greatest affliction. Um, An affliction won't send you to hell, but the smallest sin will, right? The smallest sin will. You should hate sin more than afflictions, than sickness, right? You look, look at all the trouble we go through when we get sick. And appropriately, maybe it's cancer. Whatever sickness it might be, look at all the trouble we go through when we find out we have something like that. But what is your attitude towards sin, which is the deadlier disease of anything you can be diagnosed with here on earth, is sin, right? We should spend our life on preser- not on preserving that, but receiving the grace of God. Yes. Yes. Amen. Any thoughts? Any other thoughts on that? Oh, that should be our attitude towards sin. Very good. Amen. Right. Amen. 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 Very good. Along with that, First uh, Corinthians 15. Did you have something? First yeah. Corinthians 15, 8 through 10. <clears throat> Paul said this, and last of all, as to, as to one untimely born, he's talking about the appearances of Christ. He appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles, not fit to be called an apostle, 
because I persecuted the church of God. Paul knew the grace of God. Look what it transformed. And then he says this, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove vain. It was not empty. It was not worthless. It wasn't useless. Um, But he says this, but I labored even more than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God within me. Isn't that incredible? Paul's transformation and salvation is credited wholly to the saving grace of God. It made him a workhorse. Uh, It produced an abundance of fruit in his life, and he attributed all to God's powerful grace. Someone have their hand up? Yes. That's right. It's costly so grace. Have, right. Access to, you know, to the Father through, through Christ mm. and so on and so forth. You know, just to kind of reflect on that. Amen. Amen. Well, that's good. I Amen. 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 You really, that's right. That's right. Without, uh, that's why the scripture commands us to grow in the knowledge and the what? And the grace of God. <clears throat> Both of those things really do go hand in hand. Um, what am I, I, don't, I think I might be able to get to maybe just one more point here. And that's this the grace of God is shown in election. Grace of God is shown in election. Second Timothy one nine says this that it is God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our own works, that's the language of grace, but according to his own purpose and grace which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. From all eternity, that from before the foundations of the world, it was in the plan and heart of God to be gracious to you. Isn't that incredible? That God was thinking about you in relation to his son before you existed. Incredible. That's amazing. Before you existed. And what is the purpose of our election? And we can end here. What is the purpose of our election? Uh, go to Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. It says this. Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. 
just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. What is the purpose of our election for our calling for the grace of God being demonstrated in our lives. It, election accomplishes this. It accomplishes the praise that God desires for the glory of his grace. Amen. 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 Let's go to worship.